This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we have a special guest on with us, and she is special to me because she is actually my sister. Um, so I have Taylor McLeod on with us, and she is in town. She normally lives in Nashville, Tennessee, um, but she has been in town this week, and so I got her to come on uh, to come talk with us today. And the reason I got her to come on is because she is actually she is a social worker who works with um, mental health patients and intellectually disabled patients. And she is also a crisis intervention worker. And um, I've been out the past couple of weeks because I have been working in the hospital. And so I missed, but there was actually National Suicide Awareness Day on September 10th. And so uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about it because I was, uh, like I said, in the hospital. And so I thought it would be a good time to bring that up, especially having her here, because this is what she does. Um, she actually helps people um, when they call the crisis hotline and how they intervene. She works with patients who, um, like I said, have mental health disorders and are at higher risk for a suicide. And um, so they do work with patients on that. So I thought it would be good since it was just National Suicide Awareness Day to talk about it. Um, I've had her in before and I thought it went well. It's such a hard topic to discuss because a lot of people don't want to talk about this. And that's one of the things when I was reading about it and trying to find some statistics on it. Um, You know, the World Health Organization, they're talking about how this is a global problem and it is a global health problem. Um, But it's such a taboo topic that nobody wants to talk about it, which makes it hard for them to intervene um, and help improve some of the statistics about this. So, so good morning, Taylor. Thanks for coming on today. Good morning. So tell us a little bit about, one, your background, and then what the program is that y'all do in Tennessee. Um, I don't think we have anything like that here in Mississippi, and I wish we did. And I keep trying to convince her to move back home and create <laughs> something like that here in Mississippi, but um, I'm still working on it. <laughs> but tell yeah. us a little bit about what you do. And when I say a crisis intervention worker, what does that mean? Yeah, so we are a, a crisis program specifically for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um We are under a national program called the Center for START Services. Um, They are throughout the country, but Mississippi is not one of their um, locations yet, Um, maybe one day. Uh, But we work specifically, like I said, with people with IDD. Um, But I also have a background of working for mobile crisis, and I still do work with mobile crisis. Um, In Tennessee, we have what are called MPAs, or mandatory pre-screening agents. So I do have that delegation. Um, which is where I do assess people for suicidality, homicidality, and um, psychosis to determine if they meet criteria for inpatient hospitalization. Um, 
so I have that background as well. Um, but in my current role, I um, am the manager for the Middle Tennessee region um, for people with ADD and mental health concerns. Um, we operate from a uh, – we look at the whole person. So we operate from what we call the biopsychosocial model. Uh, we have a medical director. We have clinical directors. And um, we like to look at the whole person. So we don't like to just focus on are they having psychological issues. But like I said, we do have a medical director as well. So we like to consider that aspect. Um because you always have to, as you know, rule out medical because that could be contributing as well. Um, but a lot of times, um, like my population is specifically IDD, and a lot of times that can get overlooked that people with disabilities can also have mental health concerns. Um, it's viewed as oftentimes as just being behavioral, um, but that population can experience the same mental health issues that you and I can experience. Um, so we do a lot of advocating and um, just, you know, trying to help people see that they can, you know, be depressed. They can be experiencing um, suicidality, not wanting to live, um, just like people that um, are neurotypical. So that's kind of the overview of what my job is <laughs> um, in my background. So, uh, you know, when I was looking at some of the statistics, the, one of the comments they said was, you know, a lot of times people associate suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts with mental health disorders, in particular depression, because that's the main one we talk we think about. Um, but it did make the comment that there are a lot of suicides that just happen impulsively in a moment of crisis. And so that's like if they're dealing with, they can't um, have an inability to deal with the life stressors, uh, like financial problems, a breakup, um, a chronic pain issue, or, you know, uh, uh, getting the diagnosis of a of severe illness, something like that, where patients, you know, have a moment of crisis, and they may not have ever really had a true diagnosis of depression necessarily, um, but they just don't know how to handle that moment of crisis. And so that's where you, you know, part of your role is. And, um, and I think, when was that, a year or two ago that they created that national crisis hotline mm -hmm. uh, that you can call and you can talk to somebody about that. So, I, you know, I think that's important to bring up because maybe people listening out there, um, you know, are like, oh, this probably would never affect me. But we don't really know, you know, you right. never really know what could happen. And so so that's why I just wanted to bring it up and talk about this, because you may experience a moment of crisis or you may see someone in your family experience a moment of crisis. And how are we supposed to help that? Um, and honestly, I'm not going to lie, as a pediatrician and as an internal medicine doctor, I don't have a ton of training on that um, because we just, you know, that's typically what we defer to the psychiatrist for. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important for us to bring this up because even me as a as a physician, I don't have a ton of training on this. So I just wanted to make sure we talked about that today. Well, and I think the good thing about 988, which I know you're going to get to later, is there's a lot of shame with uh, oftentimes there's a lot of shame with talking about these issues and 988 gives you the opportunity to also text you don't have to talk on the phone um so it gives you that outlet as well so you don't have to you can kind of ease into talking to someone about it yeah because um, a lot of times especially teenagers are more comfortable with texting 
So the 988 is that national crisis hotline mm-hmm. that um, that I had mentioned. And like she said, you can call, you can text it. Um, and they do dispense, like distribute you, I think, to more local areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so like just because you call in Mississippi, you're not going to talk to somebody in California. Um, so they try to com- connect you with somebody local to do the intervention. Right. So. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that, but I just wanted to kind of bring up these statistics because I feel like this kind of, you know, whenever you hear the numbers, it always just kind of makes you open your eyes and realize like, wow, this really is a problem. Um, so I was just going to look up de- depression first. So I'm kind of focusing on adolescents since this is mostly the kids and teens show. So I don't have specific numbers for adults, um, but for kids and teens, um, ages 12 to 17, 15% of kids have been diagnosed with a major depressive episode, but 36% of kids have said they have felt persistent feelings of sadness. Um, So not necessarily a true diagnosis of depression by a physician, um, but have had those persistent feelings of sadness and depression. 18.8, so 19% have considered suicide and 9% have actually had a suicide attempt. And it was, I think, 3% have had to be put in the hospital because of it. I mean, that's a pretty decent number, a 9%. You know, I mean, that's if you put 100 teenagers out there, 9 out of 100 um, of those kids have attempted suicide at some point. Um, So that's pretty sobering numbers Mm -hmm. if you think about it. And then worldwide, there are 700,000 people who die due to suicide every year. Um, And that's worldwide. So this is, you know, not necessarily just in America. Um, But back to the teenagers, suicide is now the fourth leading cause of death in ages 15 to 29. Um, So it is definitely an important topic to discuss and to bring up. And so really what I hope we get out of this is just awareness. And um, I want people to know what to do if you are experiencing those feelings or if you know of someone who has. So we are talking today about mental health awareness and suicide awareness and prevention. You can always send us an email as well to kids at mpbonline.org. So uh, before the break, we talked a lot about um, just some of the statistics and just the reason why I thought it would be important to talk about this. Um, And I mentioned before the break that adolescents in particular, um, ages 12 to 17, 15% have been diagnosed with depression, 37% have persistent feelings of sadness, 19% have considered suicide, and 9% have had a suicide attempt. So those are pretty staggering numbers and why it's so important to talk about this. And worldwide, 700,000 people die each year from suicide. And so um, just, you know, very sobering numbers, like I said, and just something that a lot of people don't want to talk about and why I thought it was important that we do talk about it as National Suicide Awareness Day was actually September 10th. So, um, but first we've got a caller, Curtis. Sorry about that. What's going on this morning? Yes, uh, it's not related to the topic, but I have an eight-month-old. She has severe eczema. And uh, we have hydroxyzine. Mm-hmm. We also have kinolog ointment. And uh, I was just wondering, do you have any other ideas or anything just we can try? I guess it's hard for her to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's got a skin kind of rough light because she's stre- 
scratches all scratches. the time. Yes, sir. Yeah, eczema is so is so frustrating. Um, the good news is, a majority of people, it does get better. So even if it's really bad as an infant, at some point, it should hopefully get better for her. For most of our patients. Um, the first thing about eczema is moisturize, moisturize, moisturize. I can't stress that enough. And I don't know, what moisturizer are y'all using for her? It was uh, prescribed to her. Uh, we use, like, therapy lotion, mm-hmm. uh, some type of shampoo for her head. Okay. And, uh, and like I said, the catalog on it. Right. And hydroxyzine, that's pretty much all we have in the CeraVe lotion. Okay. So the dermatologist told me one time that for the the moisturizing is so important for eczema. And if you are using a lotion that you can pump out, then it's not thick enough. They want a really, really thick moisturizer. So something like Vaseline, um, CeraVe makes some that's similar, Aquaphor, Eucerin, those that come in like a tub that you actually have to scoop out with your hands. Uh, Because if you have one, like I said, that you can pump out, then it's not going to be thick enough. So that's first and foremost. And you want to make sure you're putting that moisturizer on them at minimum two to three times a day. Then if you still can't get improvement with that and you're having really bad breakouts, that's when we go to the steroid cream, which is that Kenalog or Triamcinolone that you're talking about. Um, Ideally, though, with those Triamcinolone and steroid creams, you really only want to use those no more than 10 to 14 days at a time. And the reason being it thins your skin out. Um, and so it makes you more prone to the skin breaking, which can lead to infections. Um, the other thing is, is if you're a darker skin, so African-American or Mediterranean descent, Asian descent have darker skin, we do see sometimes that those steroids can actually make you lose some of the pigment in your skin. So you have to be really careful about that, too. So while the steroids in the Kenalog are good, you really only want to use those for a short period of time. Some other tips that I would tell you to do is, like, uh, don't bathe every day. You know, bathe every two to three days. And when you do, when you get her out of the bathtub, just kind of pat her dry and leave some of that water in there. And then put that lotion ointment on, and that helps just kind of lock in some of that moisture because the biggest thing is keeping the skin moisturized. And then you may... um, want to talk to your pediatrician too about her diet i'm not sure if she's breastfeeding or if she is formula fed but sometimes we do see a connection with milk protein allergy and eczema and so sometimes we do have to change up their formula or mom may need to change up her diet and limit her milk intake uh, because that can make a big difference in the skin as well okay okay uh, thank you very much on all the information. Yeah, and if that doesn't work, have y'all seen a dermatologist? Yes, we we took her to um, Hattiesburg Clinic in Hattiesburg. Okay. That was uh, what uh, she told us to, uh, that ointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, so... Ap- if not, you know, if it's not getting better, you may need to follow up with a dermatologist or our pediatric allergists do a lot of eczema, too. So um, that may be something to consider, like I said, when you if you have to change her formula or mom's diet for breastfeeding, um, you may want to talk to an allergist because they can probably give you some tips, too. Okay. 
at eight months, that's really about all we can do, unfortunately. If she was a little bit older, there are some more aggressive new medicines out there for eczema. Um, so that's something to consider, too, if it doesn't get better. But a lot of times, if you just be really aggressive with the moisturizer, change up the formula, um, we can get some decent control of it. So I hope that was helpful, Curtis, and I hope she gets some relief because I know those those poor babies just scratch, scratch, scratch with that eczema, and it's it's terrible to watch as a parent. Yeah, it's it's very frustrating. Uh, but I thank you. I thank you for everything. Yeah, thank you for your call. Um, last thing on eczema: if you have a baby with eczema, make sure you keep their fingernails cut too, because they do scratch, scratch, scratch so much, and that skin is already dry, and so it opens up easily. And then when that happens, you're at risk for infection. So we see a lot of kids come in with like staph infections, strep infections from you know just the dirt and bacteria that we get under our fingernails. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're really keeping their fingernails cut really good because they get to scratch in and it, it can really bring about some, some nasty infections too if it does get an infection. So, But thanks for your call. Um, so we'll go back to kind of what we were talking about before the break, and that was um, suicide prevention. And so, you know, I talked about the statistics before the break and just kind of how sobering that is. Um, but the other thing I want to talk about is what I kind of mentioned before, that a lot of times we associate um, suicide with mental health and depression, but it can happen in a moment of crisis. Um, and so that was when we were talking about that's kind of what my sister does, why I have her here, um, and how you can handle that if it happens to you or if it happens to a friend of yours or a family member, um, because that's what is so important about this, that we need to be able to recognize these things. The only way we're going to be able to prevent this from happening is if we're able to recognize it and intervening appropriately. Um, so... I guess first question, um, because a lot of people think this, and I mean, I remember thinking this as a, when I was a medical student rotating through psychiatry, they wanted us to go talk to the patients about depression. And one of the things that we have to ask them is, are you suicidal? And I'm like, that's kind of, I don't want to ask them that because what if that makes them think about it? Like, what if they hadn't even thought about that? And here I am asking them. So first question, does that increase your risk? If you ask somebody, have they thought about having uh, thought about attempting suicide? Will that increase their risk for suicide? No, it will not. <clears throat> Excuse me. If someone is thinking about suicide, the, the idea is already there. Asking them about it is not going to increase their risk for suicide. Um, but talking to them about it could actually prevent them because if you bring it up to them, um, you could actually help them through what they're already working through um, and try to prevent them from going through with whatever the plan may be. Um, it's important to ask questions like, you know, have you thought about ways that you could do it? Talk to them about things that they've, you know, been thinking about. Do you have access to it? Um, you know, have you thought about a plan? A lot of times people may rehearse plans. You know, they may, if they've, um, don't want to go into too many details, but like they may have like gone to a specific spot where they may try to go through with something. Um, so talk to them about that. And that way you can get all the details and um, we can create what we call safety plans. Um, you know, you can take car keys away, you can lock weapons up, you can restrict their access to things 
um, that they could utilize to go through with whatever means that it may be. Um, But you're not going to know what those means are unless you're having those conversations. Um, So it is not going to cause more harm by having the conversation, but you're actually going to do more good by bringing up those questions. Which sounds kind of crazy, but it is. It really is true. The psychiatrists say that crisis intervention says that um, that it's important for us to talk to people about that. And when you when you do talk about it and ask them, you're able to understand a little bit more about why they're thinking these these. Th- excuse me, why they are thinking this way and having these thoughts. Mm -hmm. And through that, that helps you better coordinate a plan with your doctor, with the crisis worker, with the social worker, uh, psychiatrist, whoever it may be, to gear towards why they're even having these thoughts. Um, And once you know why they're having the thoughts, that helps you intervene in the appropriate way, too, you know. Because it may just be, and a lot of times in our teenagers, it's a lot of just situational things. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we get to the bottom of the what it is and we can take them out of that situation or we can intervene in that situation, we can hopefully prevent that from happening. So I think that's important to note. Um, So I just wanted to make sure we threw that out there because I feel like a lot of people are scared to talk about it because you're scared that that may actually bring it up mm-hmm. well Be- and if you look at a lot of the celebrities who have died by suicide um it's often the people that were seemingly very happy very content um had we taken the time to ask the hard questions with people uh maybe we could have prevented some of those things you know what's really going on have you had these thoughts uh because we stay so surface level with people a lot of times you know, you say, hey, how are you doing? And what it, what's the kind of response you want from people? Hey, how's it going? Good. And you want people to keep walking, <laughs> or I do a lot of times. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you really take the time to invest in people and have conversations, even though they may be hard, um, you could prevent a lot of, hopefully prevent a lot of things from happening. And the other thing I would say is it lets people know you care, mm-hmm. and that's what they A lot of times that's what people want just in general is to know that somebody cares. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're even asking them how they're feeling, what their thoughts are, if they've had these thoughts, that in and of itself can be enough for the person just to know that somebody cares Cares. enough to ask them. Um, And so that's, you know, I just wanted to make sure we talked about that because, I mean, me, even as a physician, I still sometimes don't like to ask people because I get nervous Mm -hmm. that maybe it's going to, to bring new thoughts about it. If they hadn't thought about it, are they going to, is this going to bring that about? But it's not, you know, and, and like we said, it, it actually helps you come up with a good plan. Um, and it helps you, the person know that you're thinking about them and that somebody cares about them, which overall is great for helping prevent future suicide attempts. So. And it's also okay to not be the right person to have the conversation. If somebody tells you something and you don't feel comfortable continuing on, if they're like, oh, well, I've been having these thoughts and you're like, okay, well, I don't know where to go from here. Connect them with somebody else. Just be like, hey, you know, be under, validate their feelings. Hey, I know you're having a hard time with this. Let me see if I can get you connected with somebody that could talk with you. And then connect them with somebody else in the community. Call crisis, call their doctor, call somebody else, but don't just kind of say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that and move on. But try to get, do some resource connecting. 
This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine, and today we are actually talking with my sister, Taylor McLeod, who is a social worker who is trained and works with crisis intervention. Um, And that's what we're talking about today. We are talking about um, mental health awareness and suicide awareness and what to do if you encounter yourself or maybe a friend or a family member who is having those suicidal thoughts and how can we help them. And I know this is kind of a hard topic to talk about. So if you don't want to call, you can always send us an email as well to kids at mpbonline.org. So before the break, we talked a little bit about how important it was to ask if you think somebody could be considering these having these thoughts um, because asking someone if they are considering suicide or if they have thought about suicide does not, I repeat, does not increase their risk um, for a suicide attempt. In actuality, it actually helps prevent that from happening. So um, that's just something important that we want to say. So now, If that does happen and you talk to your friend and they do have these thoughts, um, what can we do? We talked about don't just walk away. Um, We talked about being there for them and helping connect them. So a few things that um, I found online, it was like a little mnemonic that they had about what to do if you encounter this with a friend or a family member. Um, First, ask. Second, be there. Third, help keep them safe. Fourth, help them connect. And the fifth is follow up. So, you know, you want to make sure if you're asking these questions, you want to make sure that you are going to be able to be there for them and help connect them to the right people. So what are some of the resources that are out there? We talked about that 988. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what what happens with that? Yeah, so 988 would be a resource that would connect you with a crisis counselor that would be trained for you to talk with them. Um, They would determine if, you know, on-site response would be needed um, or if it would be safe for you to remain in the community. Um, And they could just kind of consult with you by phone. There is also mobile crisis. Um, I am going to be more familiar with Tennessee resources, so I do apologize for that. But we do have mobile crisis is nationwide. I just don't know the contact information for that here in Mississippi. Um, But Mobile Crisis is a response team that responds to your location. Um, It doesn't matter where you are. It can respond to your home if you're at McDonald's. It doesn't matter if you're at a park, wherever. Um, But it would respond to your location. It would assess uh, to see if you need a higher level of care um, and uh, or if you're safe to return in the community. And it would help create a a safety plan um, to ensure that you're safe to remain um, in the community. Like I said earlier, You know, if you do have access to means, make sure that um, all of that is safe in your home um, and also that there's somebody else there. So like uh, a family member, a friend or somebody to help guarantee your safety. Um, Hospitals are good resources. You know, if you don't have family or friends um, and you don't feel like you can keep yourself safe, a lot of times people can go to the ER until you can get that higher level of care. Um, yeah, so mobile crisis, 988, um, emergency rooms. If you truly feel like you're a danger to yourself and cannot keep yourself safe, um, you can't go to the ERs um, until you can get to um, uh, inpatient psychiatric hospital for stabilization. 
And a lot of times, honestly, that's what we do in clinic. Um, and we have people come in and we're talking to them about their depression. And if they are actively suicidal, um, we usually send them to the ER. That's going to be the quickest place to get a psychiatric evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a lot of times what we do. And we call the ER and let them know that we're sending them and the reason we're sending them so that they can be evaluated by psychiatry. Um so that they can hopefully get some help. Yeah, um, and it is scary if you if that happens to you and you get, you know, sent to the emergency room or have a psychiatric evaluation. That's not um, the easiest process to go through because a lot of times I know at least in Tennessee. Again, I'm speaking from that perspective. Uh, your rights are kind of taken away from you. You typically lose access to your phone and communication and. Um, until they figure out kind of what your next steps are. So that that is a scary process, but um, it is for your safety um, because they want to ensure that you're getting um, to the next step of placement um, to make sure that you're, you're not going to cause harm to yourself or anyone else in the community. So it is um, a matter of safety. Right. And we will go to our caller, Dan. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. <clears throat> For those of, of y'all who are familiar with my calls from Dan and Yazoo, I'm now Dan and Gluckstadt. <laughs> but the reason I'm calling is because both of these young ladies here are, are my daughters, and I have one other daughter that's a teacher that I'm just as proud of. But I just uh, wanted to let y'all know that I really appreciate uh, the services y'all provide, and I know they're difficult, and um but it's, it's a much-needed uh, program. And my question was, I, I noticed that um, Taylor had been saying that uh, the, um, the funding may not be the same in Mississippi as, as well as Tennessee, so therefore services may not be uh, as widely um, disseminated in, in, and available to, to the public. And was just curious as what that might be from. Do you think it's more of... Uh, a political type issue or kind of um, put the mental health issues on the back burner rather than the, than the front burner, you know, especially in light of all the um, the violence that we have seen. And my second question to that would be um, when we have a situation like a shooting situation or uh, someone who is at the point where they are um, actively uh, attempting suicide and so many people around them are in danger and the police get a call. Uh, is it not good to have the, uh, a, a mental a social worker with, with mental health background to be able to help uh, defuse the situation rather than letting it escalate like it does so often? So two, two long questions. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know. The answer to the first one, I don't know, to be honest. Um I think there is a lot of people who are in the, you know, the physicians who are in active groups who are advocating for more mental health funding. Um, Unfortunately, Mississippi is not the only state, and I'm pretty sure probably even though Tennessee has maybe a little bit more funding, it's probably not that much more, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is just a global problem. It's not even just a U.S. problem. This is a a worldwide problem. like a lot of the statistics I found were actually from the World Health Organization, and they were t- that one of the comments they made was, you know, we think of this as more of a middle to upper class 
problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially here in the U.S., that's who we think of uh, more think about it. But actually, this is a worldwide problem that's happening in low income areas all around the world. And one of the number one ways that people actually die by suicide globally is actually ingestion of pesticides which I thought was really interesting. interesting. Um, it said, you know, I, to me, I just think gun violence, that's the first one that I think of, guns and hanging, which were the other two. Um, but ingestion of pesticides was also that. And so that's probably not one that we think about in the U.S. Mm-hmm. This is probably one that's happening globally. So, so to answer your question, I don't really know why. Um, I don't think it's just limited to Mississippi, though, unfortunately. So that's part of the reason I wanted to bring this up, because hopefully it'll motivate some people to to be more proactive with this Mm -hmm. um, topic, because it is a very taboo topic that nobody likes to talk about. Um, But it is important that we talk about it, because um, until it affects you or someone you love, you kind of just want to push it to the back burner and don't want to think about it. Uh, but it's happening. Like I mentioned, nine out of 100, 9% of our adolescents have attempted suicide at some point. So um, it's happening. And unfortunately, it's probably going to happen to somebody you know or somebody you love or somebody that you, a family, you know, a friend's family member. Um, at some point in your life, unfortunately. And so that's why it's so important to talk about and advocate for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do just want to clarify that I don't know how much more resources Tennessee has. I was just stating that we have the program specific for IDD and mental health. Um, and that is just due to our commissioner did a big push for that. So I think that it's possible it could come to Mississippi one day. That's just... I don't know what the mental health and and that's also my lack of knowledge of Mississippi resources. There could be a lot that I'm just unaware of. Well, yeah, I'm I'm more concerned with the the union, state of the union as a whole, each and every state. Uh, the, I think these gun issues are not so much Second Amendment rights in my mind as addressing the the causative factor, which seems to be the, a mental health issue in almost every situation that these have. Uh, uh, boil down to when they examine them and it just seems like that would be kind of a, a bell and whistle going off that people say hey you know we need to provide more more resources for um, mental health and and address these things and catch these things early yeah and uh, you know, so. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We have been talking today about mental health and suicide awareness as the Suicide Awareness Day was September 10th. Um, so it just passed us by. And so wanted to make sure that we address this topic because it is a hard topic, and but it's something that needs to be discussed. And so, um, like I said, you know, hopefully what you'll get out of this show is just more awareness um, and so that you will know what to do if this happens. You start having these feelings or if a loved one, friend, family member starts having these feelings, what you can do to help them. Um, and so before the uh, before we end the show, I just kind of want to go over a few things. And, you know, we've talked a lot about it's important to talk to people about this and, you know, 
ask people if they have any of these suicidal thoughts because that's the only way we're going to be able to intervene and it also lets people know that they care about them but you know we haven't really talked about what makes somebody suicidal you know like is just because you have depression are you going to have these suicidal thoughts or even if you don't have depression can you have suicidal thoughts so if you wouldn't mind just kind of elaborating on that a little bit yeah Um, So there are some underlying mental health conditions that could be contributing to people having um, suicidal thoughts. Um, You know, there is depression. Um, There could be other, like, you know, common mental health diagnoses such as bipolar, um, personality disorders, um, common diagnoses that I think a lot of people are probably aware of. Uh, But there could be other things that are contributing. Um, I think, you know, if we look at teenagers, there's a lot of pressure these days. Um, if you consider social media, um, there's bullying. Um, a lot of times bullying comes from social media. Uh, things that are circulating through text message uh, could strongly contribute to feelings of what we call when we're assessing people um, in crisis, hopelessness and worthlessness. Um, having those feelings of not wanting to live anymore um, because they don't really see the point. Um, They just feel hopeless. What's the point of going on? Um, We also look at like passive SI, like I just want to go to sleep. I don't want to wake up the the next day um, because I just don't have the motive, the motivation to live anymore. Um, there's that stuff you talked about earlier, too, that, like, moment of crisis, like financials, uh, like, you just, you hit this big burden of, I have all these bills piling up, or um, breakup, divorce. a breakup, a divorce, you know, uh, just a sudden, a sudden crisis uh, that comes out of nowhere, um, a friendship ending, you things that you may not think about, or um, something could happen in your church. Uh, you could get exiled from your church for some reason that you may not expect. Uh, little thing, things that could seem little to you, but to someone else it could feel really big. Uh, and people minimizing things that feel really big to someone else and other people being like, just get over it, it's not a big deal. Um, and I think that's something else that really needs to be discussed is taking away the stigma of mental health um, and other people's struggles because it's really not our place to judge because what one person is going through, um, that that could be a struggle for them and it's not a struggle for you. It's not your place to judge. Um, so taking away the stigma of of shaming other people. Yeah, it's very true. And you mentioned too, like teenagers and social media, um, I know I've heard of two instances here in our state in particular mm-hmm. um, where teenagers have been taken advantage of by, um, I don't know what they call them, like bots or something like mm-hmm. that, that created a false account and um, found nude pictures or something. Yeah. I don't know, remember all the details. But needless to say, um, I know one of the children did die by suicide because he just felt so much pressure from this situation. The other one I heard about, um, 
the child actually went to his parents and talked to them and they were able to intervene and he thankfully nothing happened to him um but just to be aware that this is out there for our teenagers, mm-hmm. which is scary. And I know I talk about this a lot on the show, just how important it is as parents and grandparents when you're raising kids to have that open line of communication. And this is like a perfect example of that because you want to make sure that if your child is ever in some kind of situation like this, that they feel open to be able to come talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can't stress the importance of open communication enough uh, with parents and grandparents with their children so that you can have these communica- uh, these discussions with them. Are you having these thoughts? Has anything like this ever happened to you? Has anybody ever reached out to you on social media that you may not have known about? You know, we need to be having these discussions. We need to be monitoring their social media because, I mean— you know, I graduated high school 20 years ago, and I know that really wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things, but it is a total 180 mm-hmm. from when I graduated high school. We didn't have, I didn't have a cell phone until I was like a senior in high school. And even then, it was just barely, you only got a limited number of texts you could send, right. you know? Well, and I think it's inevitable in this day and age to think you can protect your kids from having social media. They're going to have social media, yeah. but teaching them safe social media. And, like, when to come to you if something is suspicious. Like, if they're getting a weird thing, a weird message or weird engagements on social media, they need to feel comfortable coming to you. So trying to say no social media is not going to work, but teaching safe social media use, I think, is really important to prevent situations like that. Right. And as parents and grandparents, we need to be, even though we didn't experience that. And like I said, some, I was only, I'm only 20 years out, some listening 30, 40, 60 years out, you know, we don't, we, it's hard for us to get on that level because we never experienced it. Um, but we need to be open and we need to listen to our kids because, mm-hmm. again, we didn't experience it. We don't know what they're going through right. and and we don't need to belittle when they are having some of these thoughts mm-hmm. um, and some of these experiences that they share with us. So I just wanted to make sure we threw that out there. When you mentioned that, I had not really planned to talk about social media, but um, I think it's important that we do because it, it is happening all around us. So, um, you know, just making sure that we have those open lines of communication with our kids so that they can come talk to us if that happens. So we've got just a couple of minutes left. Let's go over the phone number one more time that they can reach out to um, if anybody is having these thoughts and just kind of remind everybody just real quick what to do if you have a friend or family member um, who is having these thoughts. Yeah, so 988 would be the number to reach out to. Excuse me. 988 would be the number you can call, you can text uh, for support. Um, If you have a friend or a family member experiencing suicidal thoughts, have a conversation with them. Talk to them about what they're feeling. If you don't feel comfortable having that full conversation with them, stay engaged, be present, um, connect them with the resources that are available. Um, So contacting 988 um, and stay with them through the process. You don't have to call 988 and run out the door, um, but stay with them, sit with them through the process, be present. You don't necessarily have to have the conversation with them, but just be in the room with them for support and ask them what they need. Say, hey, what do you need right now? Um, do you want me to stay? Do you want me to sit outside of the room while you have the conversation? Do you need a glass of water? What can I do for you? Um, just asking them, what do you need right now? Um, and I think it's important to know, too, that if 
they don't want to make the phone call to 988, as a concerned family member, you can still make that phone call and they can help you with resources for your your mm-hmm. loved one. So just wanted to throw that out there as yeah. well. Yeah. And always make the call. Even if they say they don't want you to, always make the call if you have the concern. Yeah. Well, thank you, Taylor, for coming on. Mm -hmm. Um, And thank you all for listening. I know it's a a tough topic. So if there was something that you want more information about, you can always email us at kids at mpbonline.org. And we will be happy to get back with you. Um, This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Oh, 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 o